Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Aussies only. Thanks to GLG Green Life Group. Leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. Well, anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that I love my numbers. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke to Matt Trelope, a journalist at TA, and he certainly loves his numbers as well. And, and we base a lot of what we write around statistics and analysis and that type of thing. So thought this time around, we'd uh, go to one of the sources of that information who uses that within the, I guess, the education space around players and improving their game and developing and the like. And uh, I do speak of Shane Leonage from Data Driven Sports Analytics. He's also had some roles with the first serve and various other bits and pieces. But Shane, thanks for jumping on with us. No, really happy to jump on, Darren. I've um, been on a number of the other first serve shows, so it's, uh, it feels um, complete to, <laughs> to be on, on Aussies only now. <laughs> I'll start with uh, the, the data-driven sports analytics. So, so what exactly, if you were to describe that to the the lay person, what are you uh, what are you doing? I guess when you wake up in the morning. Yeah, look, we're we're trying to use. Um, data um from um you know from from competition from training from a various various other you know various data sources and and help players and coaches uh, i guess interpret that information and, and make make sort of best use of it um in a, in simple terms or complex layers under that but that's yeah essentially what we do um, and you're working with some some players at the moment so in terms of how that information is is used and I guess what what it brings to the table. Can you sort of take us through that? Is it in terms of almost how they translate practice into reality, and then obviously what's happening on surfaces and, and bits and pieces? Yeah, yeah. So I, th- I think the uh, I guess the way it's been used, particularly at the pro level, um, yeah, it's I think there's three three broad categories. Um, you'd use data. Uh, let's say going into an off season and you'd look at some long-term things that you want to work on. So um, trying to, um, yeah, yeah, uh, to um, yeah, come up with, it could be a big change to like a technique or it could be a change around certain patterns that you play, but you practice that over a block of time. And um, then we've got some medium term sort of analysis where you're looking at going into a specific tournament. So going into Wimbledon this year, we had certain things that we'd, we'd liked um, our, our players to work on. Um, and we use sort of data to inform what are the, priorities uh, in terms of what you need to work on and then you go into a tournament um uh, you you're scouting the opponent so what what about your player's strengths will be effective against uh, the opponent um you know is it more about looking at the opponent's weakness or the player's strengths and 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 um, sort of using data to to come up with um, game plans and strategies so yeah i think that's probably the three main uses of our services would it be measured against i imagine it's probably all of the above measured against a the benchmark of that type of player so if someone's a serve volleyer someone's plays a bit deeper someone's a natural clay quarter or is it used against the benchmark of the best players at the time so for example if you were looking at grass would it be this is what happens when Novak Djokovic wins this is what specialist grass court players generally tend to do is it things like oh you know the average rally length on grass is this the average rally length on clay is this so therefore it's imperative that points are shorter or longer etc 
Yeah, a little bit of um, the above, and it goes to, I guess, what what you're trying to do in the analysis. So certainly we we benchmark when we're looking we're looking at some of the medium term and long term analysis. We do benchmark against the best. So. You know, I'm working with a specific junior, and we're we're looking at um he he's 18, oh, sorry he's turned 19. So we're looking at you know Rune and and Alcaraz, who are the benchmark in that sort of age bracket in terms of their movement and 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 trying trying to to do that. But obviously, when you're in a tournament and you're scouting against a specific opponent, then you're not doing so much of the benchmarking. You're looking at, I guess, um how your player strengths match up against that particular opponent. Yes, we look at surface. Yes, we're looking at, you know, whether the roof's closed open um, and um, and I guess and a number of other variables that might influence the match. But, uh, yeah, it goes down to the, the specific piece of analysis that we're doing, whether we benchmark or not. Can you take us through, I guess, the role you have with Tennis Australia, but also the private role you, you have in that sort of space. We'll touch on some of the players you have worked with in the past, but but where you're at at the moment. Yeah, so a number of years back, um, I think it was uh, Simon Simon Rare and, and Marco Reed. they reached out, um, obviously aware of what I was doing on the private side. So to, um, to try and bring some of that uh, within uh, Tennis Australia, um, within, um, I guess, their, um, their performance area. Uh, and, and yeah, but basically what my role there is uh, taking some of the data that they've got. So they've got a really rich uh, library of Hawkeye data. Um, they've also got some manually coded data, um, data that's coming through for juniors from um, uh, like a smart court AI swing. swing. Um, so they've got data from a number of sources um, and they just wanted uh, me to help them develop some tools that the coaches and 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 I guess um, the team internally can can use to um, yeah to, to look at areas to improve benchmark against the rest of the world so the juniors we're looking at against Canada against the Czech Republic girls um, yeah to, to, to look at I guess um, you know how how our junior programs sort of stacking up and and that's that's um, I guess a work in progress where there's still lots of bits moving uh, in that space um, and and the data itself uh, we're continually growing that library um, so we we actually have a good sample size before we uh, um, go off and make too many um, massive decisions. The sport, I sort of branch away as, as sort of things pop into my head, but does sport um, follow the leader in the sense that you look at the AFL, for example, and it feels that tactically you'll have the best team in the competition and then everybody else's tactics become tailored around controlling that. Then someone else obviously takes the mantle as the best team and the tactics evolve around controlling that. Have you found that statistically and data-wise that tennis follows that lead where it looks at, okay, if Nadal's the best player in the world, people are structuring up on how to beat someone like that and then if it was Federer they, they figure out how to try to beat someone like that does the data move with what it needs to move towards if that makes sense yeah yeah look uh, I think we do that so on, on the private side I, um, I, I'm fortunate enough to work Therina Zabalenka and Ons Jabert and uh, and I guess last year it's fair to say the benchmark was clearly on, on the WTA was Igor Shvetek so um, a lot of our thinking at the end of the season was around okay we're going to have to play Igor um, so what what can we do? What does she do really well? And what can we do to, to match up against that game style? And obviously with someone like Arena, we've got a different set of tools than someone like an ONS. So we, we had to, I guess, brainstorm using data, different ways to, uh, to, 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 to sort of manage 
that um you know that 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 clash and, and we do that with not just one player we 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 knew Elena uh, Ribakino was going to be there we, we knew Sakari there's players that we had a very good uh, sense would be still up the, at the top of the game and we we do focus a little bit on them but obviously um that there are new players coming through all the time so uh part of uh, what we do we, we're capturing data all the time uh, on, on some of these new players like Linda or even Mira Andreva is someone that's come through mm-hmm. really fast this year um so we've had to really um enhance our library and, and the collection on her um just uh, just because we, we're it's quite clear she's going to be a player that we're going to have to run into but yeah we definitely uh, look at the look at the top of the game two-part question you might not be able to give too much of it away but can you sort of take us through first of all how that partnership came to be with players like Ons, who's obviously three-time Grand Slam finalist since the middle of last year, and, and Savalenka, who won the Australian Open this year. I guess how those partnerships came about, and you mentioned obviously that they are extremely different players from, from one another. What areas did you focus on for them if they were to become the best players in the world? I think that how the partnership started uh, with Ons, so her coach, Isam Jalali, I think it was the start of the 2020 season um just before the Australian Open he, he reached out uh, I think he was coaching her from abroad at the time and um and she had a second coach with her present but yeah uh yeah basically he reached out um we just did some initial scouting um and then after the tournament we, we did what we call a deep dive on ons and that was getting a lot of her matches in through our tracking system and then breaking down a game so serve return yeah you know, what she's doing when the ball is in play the plus one balls um how, what's the movement and and basically deep dive provides a recommendation then um that we, we provide a recommendation based on it again these are your seven eight priorities over the next 18 months that we, we want you to look at and and that's i guess how the the relationship started and I think the deep dive really um, I'd like to think things that we looked at uh, in 2020 they're some of the things that she's ticked off and and that's helped um, sort of make that sort of progression uh, to be competitive and make those slam finals uh, obviously we, we don't feel like we're done yet and obviously the final <laughs> hurdle is a big one um, that we would li- like her to um, you know be performing optimally on that final day and, and that's something we, we still got to work on uh, in terms of Zabalenka that relationship started almost a year after the Jabir one. And, uh, and I think, um, yeah, I think that we had mutual, mutual um, sort of contacts that got us in touch. And I think the Zabalenka team actually um, were aware of the work I did with the Jabir team uh, as we faced them, I think at Roland Garros the, in the, in the COVID year where it was played in October, Zabalenka and Jabir played. And, and I think um, they were aware of the work. And then I think the coaches also uh, had, had conversations and somehow by the, by the start of January, uh, we, we, we were working with the, the Zabalenka team as well. And similarly, we, we would do a deep dive on her game, look at her strengths, look at the areas that we thought were the priorities for the next sort of 12, 18 months um, and keep working. And we, we would continually look at, look at that every, every 12 months. So yeah, that's something that I think has worked well with all, all our arrangements. How proud do you feel when you look at, say, Arena, who had problems in Australia 12 months ago with the serve and 18 months ago with the serve and things like that, to then climb the tree and reach the pinnacle at the same venue? And I guess the sense of satisfaction you'd, you'd have in being involved in that journey. And I guess Ons, who's so close, your reflections on that Wimbledon final where she was up a break in both sets and, and unfortunately just fell short against uh, Marketa Vondrasova. Yeah, look, uh, def- definitely very proud of for Arena really on 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 the way she's sort of managed that 
Um, I, I've been saying to everyone, I think the year that she had on serve last year actually helped every other part of her game. Like um, she, the way she uh, reacts to uh, opponents' returns and um, the way she's improved, um, you know, her baseline uh, shot tolerance and um, ability to defend and. And I, I almost feel like she needed to go through that year where her ma her biggest strength was taken away from her, and she had to uh, you know st still play at a high level to finish top five in the world, um, basically with uh, you know a, a serve that wasn't working optimally, and then getting it back this year, and and I guess the way she's handled that um, has really yeah it's it's been fantastic to see. And then you know, I just still remember one of the very first notes I've got from the meeting mm -hmm. with uh, Arena's coach, and it was consistency in Grand Slams was something he was looking for and at that time when we started she hadn't I think a fourth round was a best result so she the the knock on her game was she can't perform in grand slams and 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 what she's done certainly this year three you know a, a slam win and two semi-finals but even going back she was making semi-finals um and and going deep in slams so uh, yeah very proud to see that progress um and in terms of ons as well um she was 80, 80 odd in the world when we started. So uh, in a lot of ways, uh, I think uh, she's exceeded most people's expectations of where, where she was, was supposed to go. And we, we we never wanted to put a ceiling on that because we, we felt if she got a few things right, um, she was always going to be um, someone that featured well in Grand Slam. So yeah, very proud of what she's done as well. Yeah. And in terms of the final, um, disappointing, I think, um I think it's it's uh, everyone in the team uh, was disappointed, um, but um, I, I think there's a lot of lear learning for her from from that match as well. And, and I think she's definitely someone that will work very hard to overturn that. So hopefully, the next opportunity she gets, she she can win that slam. And uh, certainly inspired by players like Dominic Team, Andy Murray, and Kim Kleisters, those players that had a few um, Grand Slam finals before they finally broke through. So um, yeah, I'm sure Ons is going to do the work to give her the best best shot to do it. Absolutely. And and seems a very likable uh, player as well, or likable person. Your, I guess your, your background in data and things like that, where did that start for you? And, and was there always an eye in your mind to have it lead to sport or was it going a different way early? Yeah, I think it was going a different way. I was working in a number of data roles. So I actually, I graduated undergrad as a lawyer with a commerce degree. Yeah. Uh, I did some work in commercial law for a few years, then went into government law. And somewhere in government, I uh, started going into more data roles and then went back to uni, did a data science qualification and then did a master's in sports analytics. So working in government in data roles and then I went into Cricket Australia for, for a number of years where I worked in their community cricket area, had the responsibility of the indoor cricket team as well. So some performance data there. But yeah, whilst I was doing that on the side, I'd started data-driven sports analytics and yeah, it's just sort of grown from there. I started to work with more players and then uh, I think it was the COVID year that I, I guess, that had the feeling that I wanted to to um, to go full time, uh, give data driven um, sports analytics a proper shot, and I was very fortunate uh, that Onza's coach committed to me for twelve months, which gave me the confidence to go. Okay, well, at least I've got one big client um, that's that's signed, and then. Uh, yeah, and and the at the end of the year, I was lucky lucky enough to get Arena to sign and uh, and Emil Rusevori as well. So once I had a few few clients, I felt a little bit more comfortable that I had um, in, enough income coming in to pay the bills. Um, and then yeah, it's it's grown from there. Was there always a love of tennis, like right from day one? 
even on the side when you were doing other things, being an avid tennis fan or whatever it may be? Did I have a passion for tennis? I grew up loving tennis. I um, I played at AMT level in the mid 2000s. So I wasn't a great player, but certainly loved playing playing the sport. You know, even to pay the bills, I did some coaching uh, whilst I was at uni. So I had a little bit of an idea of the game. Wouldn't wouldn't say I had an eye for coaching or anything like that. But um, so the passion was there, and um, and I and I always felt once I started working the data space, I, I saw a gap. Uh, in in the way that the data was being used in tennis in particular. And I thought I could use my skills I- in that area. And, and I guess I had the passion um, to try and, you know, whenever you do anything, there's always the admin uh, component of it that's a bit uh, laborious. So if you have the passion, you, you sort of get through it. And I had that with tennis. With cricket, yeah, the role was a, a two-part role. I think predominantly it was using data. Um, to try and grow cricket. Um, so that's getting more more players into cricket uh, and then helping the, the the pathways identify players that could go into high performance. So that, that was, I guess, the, the role. But then, as I said uh, previously, indoor cricket sort of fell in that umbrella and, and at the time they had no performance analytics, um, no, no, nothing significant in terms of how they were using data. So had a blank canvas to really... Um, to to just start something, so we we started a simple sort of tagging panel and using that that data and in, in a sort of Power BI dashboard to present that, so coaches were able to to um yeah to to get some match data and then scout opponent teams and and have a look at their own players. So that was that was that was really fun to do. But um, I think I always had a passion for tennis. Um, um, so it's um yeah it's it's the reason I sort of went um into that direction. As someone who's always studied stats, obviously, if you look at um, soccer or Australian rules football, occasionally stats can be deceiving in that you can dominate but lose. Um, Obviously, you could dominate an AFL match and have 70 inside 50s to 45 and win the clearances by 30 and and still get beaten. In soccer, you could have 18 shots to four and, and lose. Cricket. I've always felt is one sport where the stats can literally never lie. You can't dominate a game of cricket and not win. Where do you think tennis sort of sits in in that space where obviously you can generate a, a million break points or you can be better in rallies, but the game's not played that way, etc. How do you kind of see it in terms of are there certain boxes where you look at it and go, if you if you control X, Y, and Z, invariably you'll get a result? Yes, with a caveat, I would say <laughs> that there's there's certain stats that can be misleading because you can you can dominate a set, win six love, six love, and the other three sets could be seven six. So yeah, um, if you look at raw points, it can be misleading. Under pressure points, I think is always a a really good gauge. Uh, if you're winning that, then um, more often you're correlated uh, to to winning winning the match. But then even looking at some of the the um, spatiotemporal sort of data that you've got, you can you can look at things like court position improvement uh, per shot. So if the players that are improving their court position more, uh, if you look at they generally they, they they win the match. But again, I, I think there's no one you know magic stat in tennis. So you, you've got to look at a combination of of different stats, and that's different for different players. Like I said, working with on she's got different KPIs to arena. So for her to win a match, three things might be really important. Whereas those three things for arena uh, are not are not going to make a difference. So it's uh, yeah, it's really important sort of deriving and coming up with those unique or individualized um, metrics for that player. Um, and 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 that's that can give you a gauge of if they're playing well, well or not. But I still think there's no magic you know one stat that's going to show you whether you win or lose. 
Yeah, and um, it's interesting. I guess that's the thing with tennis. It, it seems a bit more broad ranging than a lot of other, a lot of those other sports, which is quite fascinating. Obviously, the different styles coming together within the same contest, so to speak. Um, you know, players from different backgrounds, different sizes, left hand versus right hand, six foot four versus five foot three, that type of thing. All of those little quirky aspects to it. During your analysis, obviously, if you go back a few years, Ash Barty was still on the scene, and you mentioned analyzing you know, some of the better players in the world to know what they are doing. I imagine that would have been a, a fascinating exercise. She was quite a unique player, obviously, by comparison to everyone else. What was that like with, with Ash in terms of how you were analysing her? Yeah, she was definitely, uh, I mean, going back a few years, she was the benchmark. Um, and I think we were definitely looking at, well, I, guess, I can probably say it now, looking at, <laughs> uh, I guess, for Arena, how, how she can match up against Ash. Uh, and I know they had, uh, you know, very, very good rivalry. I think it was quite, close every time they played so um i'd like to think we, we we always had a good plan against her and they had a good plan against us um um but with ons we probably took a different path we were going at okay ash is kind of the blueprint we'd love for ons to play a little bit more like ash uh, give us she uses the slides she's a bit more all court um so uh we're, we're almost um obviously not trying to change ons but going actually ash is probably the pathway you want to be as a player to try and you know, definitely have a slice. Um, so, so yeah, again, with Arena, it was more around, okay, how do we match up against an Ash? And with Ons, it was um, more at going, okay, what are the things Ash does really well and can we get Ons to do those things well as well? Um, I guess looking at a, a couple of individuals too, Novak Djokovic said at his press conference that he'd never played anybody quite like Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, you mentioned that him as a benchmark as a 19-year-old, which is obviously clearly the case. He's won the US Open and Wimbledon so far. What are a couple of things about him? Uh, one thing that seems to stand out is I've never seen somebody hit a forehand faster, if that if that makes sense. So uh, are there little things that are sort of standing out from for him? Yeah, I mean, uh, um, I think that there's there's a lot, and I think Novak was spot on saying that he's almost got the best elements of of the big three. Um, yeah, for for me, and uh, I was fortunate enough. So Emil Rizovori practiced with him uh, on the grass, uh, maybe the first second practice he had um, at Wimbledon, and and yeah, just at court level, the movement. Uh, and I know he he's critical of himself on grass in terms of the movement, like, uh, but he still moves unbelievably well changes the direction uh so explosive going in and out of that change that um yeah it's just that that, that was something the movement i think is something i haven't seen and I, you know novak moves well I, I know nadal when he was younger he moved extremely well but i i don't think we've seen anyone move like alcaraz um particularly on the clay and the hardcore but i think his movement on, on grass clearly showed he was amazing there yeah his forehand um Forehand is incredible. He can do a lot. Like he can flatten it out and get get really high speeds. Uh, but he, we've seen as well. If he wants to hit heavy, he can hit heavy. So he can open angles. He can you know push you back, um, change directions. So that forehand is 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 scary. It's scary um, because yeah, you can't really hurt it. The backhand has improved as well. I, I know. A couple of years ago, uh, the, one of the players we were working with, uh, Ramos Vinolas, played him at, at Roland Garros. And the strategy, and a lot of people have used it, was basically going slow into the backhand, make Carlos generate all the ball speed. And he couldn't do it at that stage. But now he's he's improved his backhand so much that that, that, that doesn't really work against him anymore. So, yeah, and I think he's he's, he's so young. He's, he's not afraid to play you know, on, on the front half of the court as well. Um, 
which uh, yeah, just showed that you know even though he's only had a couple of tournaments on grass, he, he was able to he had the, all the tools already um, to be able to to excel on grass, even though he probably had a low expectation for himself on the surface. Does it feel like I mean, obviously Djokovic is a long way to go before anyone catches, or, or possibly no one ever catches. I mean, he's gone past Nadal to twenty three now, and it's a massive mountain to climb. But he's thirty six this year. Uh, Nadal's thirty seven, and, and clearly towards the end, Federer we know is gone. Did it feel to you like that was Alcaraz taking the mantle, or not yet, from your point of view, as to whether he's now the benchmark? Yeah, look, I think the rankings don't like. Uh, now that I guess Novak's had a few more tournaments this year, mm. um, and Alcaraz is, is is number one, so I think he is at the top of the game. I don't think there's a big difference between him and Novak um, in terms of level. You saw in Paris uh, the result go the other way. I know there was cramping and all mm. of that, but um, you know it's only a month later. Um, it, it goes in a tight fight setter, so I think the two of them will have probably over the next couple of years some 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 epic uh, matchups. Um, but I think Alcaraz is, is definitely at the top. Uh, I'd like to think that, um, it's hard to say, there's other players like Holger Rune, I think, is coming through. Um, Yannick Sinner's pushing, um, and there's some other younger players that are inevitably going to come through. So it's, I, I just look back to, you know, Nadal came through probably in that age bracket. Him, Novak, Andy, he broke through early, was the, was the leader for a number of years. And then Novak kind of clicked into gear. Uh, after that, and then sort of uh, dominated after. So, uh, you know, Alcaraz is de- definitely leading his age group at this stage, but um, I-, I wouldn't rule out players like Holger and, and Yannick sort of um, pushing him like, later in their careers. Definitely. And, and the, the last couple, obviously, the use of data in sport, as sport has generated to full time, has gone through the roof. It, it appears to be the biggest growth area in, in all sports in terms of that analytics and statistics, etc. Do you feel that we're kind of only scratching the surface in terms of how this would be used, not just across tennis, but across sport in general. Yeah, def- definitely. And I think there's, it's it's all rapidly evolving. So I'm thinking, you know, at uni a couple of years ago, uh, you know, one of the things that we we were learning and we were, we developed models to use on top of like, uh, like a vision to automatically categorize things as like a forehand, backhand. Mm. And, and I graduated a number of years ago, but the technology in that space has grown so rapidly um, that it's like it's 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 evolving and changing. You, you've seen ChatGPT come through, um, and the way that ChatGPT has been used um, has applications for sport as well. We, we don't know what's going to happen in the next eighteen to three five years in terms of what's going to be developed in that sort of IT computer space. Uh, and and I think uh, you know sports has there'll be there'll definitely be some applications not just from that performance side, but I think operationally as well um it'll be able to ha- how can we effectively market or target audiences to grow the game so i think yeah d- data there, there's plenty of applications and i think uh, t- tennis has been behind uh it's fair to say but i i think the you know t- atp in particular they've got tennis data innovations now and um and the, the, and 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 i think they're, they're they're looking at ways to use data a bit better and just finally, obviously, you've dabbled in the, the first serve in various uh, media spaces uh, along the way. Do you sort of enjoy that opportunity to get out there and talk about that side of the game? 
Yeah, I think any time where I can promote uh, da data in, in, in sport and in, in tennis, I, I love doing that because I think, uh, as, as I've said uh, on this a number of times, I felt like tennis was certainly um, lagging behind. Uh, I, I love all sports, so I, I'm always jealous seeing you know the, some of the stats on, on the NBA or um, that are on broadcast or even in the social sphere, the way that the, the fan groups sort of engage with each other with the, the various um, – the new metrics that they've gotten and I always felt tennis was behind. So yeah, I, I love sort of getting on uh, the first serve and, uh, and I've I had the opportunity to do it um, at, at some of the other, other sort of media companies as well. It's been great to sort of um, sh shed a little bit of a light and get people talking a little bit differently um, or uh, probably not fair to say, but I, I would say <laughs> a little bit more intelligently uh, about, about the sport. Yep, I think that's a fair call. Shane, thank you very much for giving us your thoughts. I certainly love these conversations and, yeah, well done on all of the terrific work you've been doing in the space. Thanks, Darren. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers and follow us on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, in it to win it.